Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Come meet me at the Museo With Alan and Daniel We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shopta at C70 on the Twitter X thing. Um, I told you last week that I was going to have a little segment with Alan about the his high school baseball team, but Alan and I did not make connections this week. Um, both of us kind of forgot that Wednesday was Valentine's Day and we probably shouldn't record on that day, so we didn't. Um, we'll get to that next week. Sitting in Alan's chair metaphorically speaking this week we've got jason hill from viva albertos you and i have had jp hill cards on the twitters jason how are you doing tonight i'm doing great man how are you doing doing well always good to have you on and um before we get into cardinals stuff do want to point out again you're writing to be veb on the regular and you're running the podcast over there as well how much fun has that been for you? I know y'all have kind of picked up the podcast in the last year, especially probably a little bit more actively. Has it been found that to be a lot of fun? It has been. It's been it's been a blast um, getting. Uh, well, you know, really, I, I I do writing, but my background is in video editing and audio stuff, and so it's kind of like you know coming back to my roots a little bit. And when I first started on at Viva Alberto's about three years ago. I mentioned that to our then site manager and she was like, yeah, you should do that sometime. And, 
you know, I was just a newbie, just getting my feet wet, didn't want to like jump out with something creative. And so it took me a couple of years to get around to it. But yeah, once we did, um, it's it's been a joy and a lot of fun having our writers on there, but then also having the opportunity to interview players, uh, mostly from the minor leagues, but you know, players who have now gone on to become major leaguers and, mm-hmm. and fun talking to them and hearing from them and, and getting to do that a little bit has been uh, surprising and, and enjoyable. Yeah, and then I was able to use your show as you know show prep for myself because you all had Dane Perry on about a week before I did. So I, I saw that. Yes, I did that on purpose. I saw, <laughs> I saw your schedule. I was like, oh, I've got to get Dane first. <laughs> well, no, we did have a gap there, so he was the perfect guy to fill it. He's great. Yeah, yeah, really good. We enjoyed the, our conversation last week as well. Um, it's it's spring training. We are we have we have gotten there, and as a person who is. Uh, with the religious background that you have, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but I've often considered oh, we can you know, get as, deep into the weeds with that if you want to, as, <laughs> as deep as you want to go, man. <laughs> you and I could. I don't know that. I think by that time, you know, we're going to have a lot of clicking off. Maybe we would have if we three, get three listeners. Three listeners is all that would be left. That's right. But have you? I assume you've had the same thoughts. Then you know we had Ash Wednesday on the same day as you know, pitchers and catchers. Lent and spring training kind of have this overlap, um, yeah. and it's it's a really an interesting thing to see from our point of view uh, as you go into both of those seasons. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, I could you, I could dig into the theology of that if you want me to. I mean, totally <laughs> geek out on your listeners because on one sense, like Lent is supposed to be a season of sacrifice and not not like a downer season, but you're giving things up, you're you're letting things go. It's a season of repentance in in, in anticipation of of Easter that's coming, right? The rising uh, again from the ashes, so to speak. But here you've got that juxtaposed against spring, which is such, in my mind, just such a happy time, such a such a pleasant time. There's snow here in Missouri where we are, but yet there's there's our guys down there in Jupiter playing catch in the sun, and it's it's an interesting juxtaposition. But it makes for a fun time of year. Yeah, I talked about it a little bit on the Substack this week. You know, again that the time and, and, and listen, so you know, back in the old days when people went into spring training, they actually had to you know, like get into shape, you know, yeah. they had to have that <laughs> yeah. discipline and all that kind of stuff. These guys now, you know, except for the pitchers, they could probably walk in into a major league game and, and play like tomorrow. Um, yeah. just the way they yeah. are. So, um, but it's interesting. And it, again, the new leaf, the new, the, the new life, if you will, um, of the baseball season. However, it doesn't, you know, it's not a complete, we like to say it's a fresh slate. It's completely new it's not completely new, right? I mean, it's still influenced by what happened last year. Right. We're getting a little bit of that, especially today. It's kind of late. And I want to get, I want to start with this because it is kind of, kind of fresh. Um, Jeff Jones got a chance to talk to Nolan Arenado, and we've heard a lot about clubhouse culture and all that kind of stuff. And, And Nolan put out a quote, I guess I should probably read it for anybody that hasn't seen it. Uh, I know you've you've mentioned it, so I want to re- I'll read this and I'll let you uh, talk about your thoughts. But let's see, Nolan says, our team was just all young guys. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but they kind of overran the clubhouse. And it's usually the veterans who run the clubhouse. I, and I don't mean that in a way that they were disrespectful. It wasn't anything like that. There were just so many of them. And I think that if you want to get the best out of young guys, you've, they've got to see how the veterans do it. All stars and players that have been there before. And that's how you get them better. But if they don't have those kind of figures, it's hard for that to happen. I know me and Goldie were there, but there's only, it doesn't, 
we're not really vocal people either. So it's nice to have Carp, who's not afraid to go up to people and talk to them and hold them accountable. When you read this, what were your first thoughts? Well, the, the thing was, is that I, I had a really busy day in the office today. And so to be honest, I ran across the reaction to it before I ran across the actual quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that probably colored a little bit of the way that I, I looked at it. Um, but, you know, to me, it's it's not surprising that Arenado would come out here and sort of, you know, shoot from the hip a little bit. Like he's he's he hasn't been one who has shied away from telling things kind of the way they are and speaking his mind he doesn't always do it but whenever he feels like it's necessary he he takes that opportunity and and i don't know what was happening in the clubhouse last year i can't speak to the environment i don't know that it was good or bad i i know as do all of us that the results on the field weren't good and clearly these guys both goldie and arenado and also um, John Mazalok and uh, Ali Marmol seem to think that it was a real issue. So I, I think in many ways what you're seeing is Arenado reflecting something that's been talked about probably in extensive detail within the clubhouse and within their, you know, the, the players text chain that they've talked about. And, and he's just sort of verbalizing what they've all known and, and talked about for a while, but hasn't really been out in the media. And so, so here we have, here we have this statement. And fans who have been looking for information for a long time finally have something to react to. And, you know, not everyone is reacting to it in a positive way. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I I think there's definitely different ways to look about this. I will say when I was reading that, it almost sounded like there was this infestation of young guys in the club. And they they needed to kind of, you know, call a fumigator or something of that nature. And I don't know that that's what he meant, but it is kind of interesting to think about the fact that uh, this clubhouse, I mean, we, we, we see turnover, but especially in the hitting side of things, yeah, it's a lot of the same guys, right? I mean, it's a lot of the same people that in theory um, weren't getting that leadership that they needed. So I guess, you know, in that regard, carp is coming in, but I mean, if you're, if do you think, I mean, again, you said, you know, they've probably talked about this before, but if they haven't, does this come across like hard on guys? Like if Jordan Walker's reading this, if Mason wins, John, Brendan Donovan, any of those young guys, do you think it comes across to them as like, what's no one really getting at here? Um, yeah, I think it would. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that's a bad thing, you know, necessarily mm-hmm. uh, because I, I don't think that Nolan would be saying it. And I don't think that, 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 Goldie hasn't spoken, but, but Mosellock and the way that he's talked about it, I don't think that they would be talking about this this way if it wasn't actually a problem or if there wasn't things going on. And I I can't say that it was Jordan Walker or or Mason Wynn or Dylan Carlson or anyone. I have no idea, but if there were issues, it needs to be addressed. And sometimes those things just have to be recognized for what they are and spoken for what they are. And I don't think Nolan, he didn't call anyone out. You know, he kind of threw in one sense, I was, I was interacting with, um, uh, I pop editor on, on Twitter a little yeah. bit and he's, he made some good points. I'll let him repeat those on Sunday night, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, he did kind of throw like everyone under the bus, but then also kind of threw himself under there too, which mm-hmm. I think is highly appropriate in a season where they won 71 games. Everyone's under the bus. So right. figure out the way out. And I think in some ways that's what you're seeing here with, with Arenado. He recognized a problem. 
he didn't do everything that he maybe could have done to solve it. Maybe he's not equipped to solve it. And so this is their solution, not just Carpenter, but their whole approach to clubhouse environment towards veterans to go along with their, their critical young players. And, and from there seeing if that will, will help, you know, the environment get a little bit better this year. I think it's also very, I think it's probably pretty telling that, you know, when we talk about a clubhouse that is having problems, we're often talking about, you know, personality conflicts or, you know, people that are just, you know, not bad apples, if you will, or whatever the case may be. The Cardinals didn't really, you know, clear out a lot of those guys, right? Tyler O'Neill yeah. went to, to Boston and, and maybe that was part of that. Who knows? Rich Felosios goes to Tampa Bay, but we're pretty sure that, you know, everybody's talking about how upbeat he was. It doesn't really seem to be an issue. So, you know, it's not an unsolvable problem. It's just almost like you're not doing it the way we want you to, but yeah. you're not doing it wrong either. Yeah. Yeah. And some of it goes back probably, I'm, I'm sure, to things like game preparation, maybe not study habits, but the way you study, the way you learn pitchers, the way you uh, the way you handle batting practice, what you do on the side. I mean, there's just there's certain procedures and and certain, you know, activities that that veterans have sort of put in place habits, if you will, mm-hmm. that young guys probably are trying to make that up on the fly or they have to be shown it and how much of an impact those things have on the field. I can't say, but the veterans seem to think that it does. And so if, if they have more people that are able to teach those things, work on those things, then I think they feel they're going to get a better product of it. And like you said, I don't think it necessarily has to do with, with conflicts and personality issues and arguing or, or this or that. It's more about how they handle the the day-to-day business and setting an example in the right ways for kids that maybe just literally have never seen things done the way that Yadier Molina did it or seen things done the way that Albert Pujols did it. Now, some of them have, but, but some of the guys, you know, haven't either. So, well, and there's also the idea of, of, of seeing what they're doing, but not completely understanding it. Like, you know, again, we know, we know Chris Carpenter started this idea of everybody, on this, on the pitching staff, watching the bullpen of the starter for that day. Right. I mean, right. this, this idea. And, and there was reasons for that, uh, you know, besides team camaraderie to, to learn to, to, to critique, you know, it's been a while since Carpenter's been there and now Wainwright's gone and stuff like that. It's very easy to get to the point of, Hey, I know we're supposed to be out here, but what are we doing? You know I mean? Are we just, yeah. you know, standing here and we'll, we'll mess with our phones and stuff like that and kind of shoot the breeze while this guy's throwing instead of, you know, using that as a time to get intentionally better. And, you know, again, it's, it's some of that, you know, this is, this is why we do that. And you got to know, have people that know why you're doing it to be there. Right. I think maybe we saw, I, I can't say that this is exactly what, what Aaron Otto was talking about, but we might've seen an example of this at a uh, winter warmup because um, Alec Burleson came to winter warmup and talked about some of the things that he recognized and realized during the season that just because he had done things a certain way and those things had carried him to the majors didn't mean that he was going to be able to continue to do that. And so in the off season, he, he worked on his diet. He changed what he ate. He worked on his, his uh, workout process, um, started working a lot more on outfield defense and, and things, things that we recognized and saw in him, but things that weren't necessarily, what he needed to get to the majors. And it's that kind of thing that, 
that some of those everyday things you from your diet to your workout habits to your eating to your rest schedule that you know coaches can talk about maybe and, and different people have different routines but it's probably the veterans in the clubhouse that are really enforcing that and and sparking that kind of um desire to follow the line so to speak mm-hmm. in in the youngsters who, who maybe had never even thought about it or realized it or maybe were so bought into what got them there that they're not familiar with what they need to do to get them even farther it, it, now there is a there's a fine line too because you don't want these players to kind of come off as you know just jordan walker mason win we, we've got you know victor scott to probably coming in a you know a year or so or maybe even less there's there's a personality that that infuses that that you know frankly is a little bit (laughs) against the cardinal way to some degree you know we're not necessarily (laughs) used to that kind of excitement or uh you know useful exuberance um and so you don't want the the leadership of the veterans to to crush that right i mean you want them to 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 channel it more than anything and, and that's a difficult thing to do especially in a situation where like you know especially nolan and goldie may not be those kind of leaders they're more of the you know we're gonna go out here and show you how it's done we're not necessarily gonna talk to you uh you know that could be a problem yeah yeah and you know i think i think that's a great example because goldie is is i'm sure a, a great visual leader a great example in what he does I, the guy clearly works hard and and has an impeccable worth ethic and and behaviors and habits and everything but he just rarely talks at all really talks about you know to the media rarely talks in public you just he just it's just not who he is he's a quiet kind of guy and you don't want to turn mason Wynn and jordan walker into goldschmidt's in terms of personality but if they if they were goldschmidt in terms of their habits while having all that personality they're going to be great players and i think that's what everyone's looking for is turning great personalities and great players into players that can sustain that over over the long haul and become what they're supposed to be at the major league level i I just think about the cardinals put out a video this week of you know of the players you know it's like it's time it's you know it's time to turn the page blah 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 and you know it's got walker and it's got michaelis and then it's got goldschmidt (laughs) in there and he is like almost stone-faced while he's reciting whatever (laughs) line that he has to say uh like i don't really want to be here i don't don't put me in this situation but i mean that's you know people are like that and i think that's you know we i think a lot of places have talked about this of this off season is just because you've got a really good player a really excellent player does not mean that he's uh you know the people person that can be that leader sometimes he's a really great player because he is so dedicated and focused on himself that all he can do is lead by example because he doesn't have the bandwidth to help somebody else out as well right Right. And also there's different types of leadership and, and, and mm-hmm. different ways that people lead. And Goldie's not going to become Mr. Yadier Molina speech guy or or doing bat flips, you know, like like Ozzy Smith and, and being such a, a dynamic personality. He's he's just going to be who he is and who he is can set a great example for the young players. But he also can't be who he isn't. He just it, it's just not going to work for him. And, and so, yeah, you got to bring someone in like Carp who apparently can do that. I, I guess, you know, they, they seem to think that he can and, and hopefully it'll help because I don't know how much they're going to get from him with his bat. So if they get something from him in the clubhouse. It would be a net positive, I suppose. 
I mean, we'll have to wait and see. It might have to be a lot of good stuff in the clubhouse to get that <laughs> right. positive. We'll just have to see how many times he's used in what situations. Well, but, the more um, time that he spends on the bench and not hitting, the more time he can lead from the bench. That's my that's my take on it. So that, I think that's safe, and I think that's what everybody else wants to see as well. <laughs> um, and hopefully that's the case. I mean, we don't... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I feel like uh, I trust... Ali Marmol to be more judicious with Matt Carpenter than Mike Matheny or Mike or Mike Schilt was. I, I think Ollie yeah. has, I mean, besides the fact that, you know, Carp has been gone for a couple of years and that helps you know, break the, the mystique, if you will. Uh, I just, I just feel like we saw a little bit of that, not as much with Yachty, but because Yachty was more, was hurt, but I felt like Ollie at times was much more likely to, this is what the numbers say. We're going to, you're not playing versus, yeah. Hey, we're going to let you play because you, if you play long enough, maybe you'll hit something. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think we saw it some with Molina. And the thing with Molina, when he was struggling so poorly, it's not that Kisner, you know, that wasn't Kisner's great offensive. Well, great's a relative term, but it wasn't Kisner's best offensive season either. Like he was struggling too. So the difference between the two players wasn't really all that significant. And so why not go for the guy who can really call a game and, and has the pedigree and, and all, all that stuff. Now, early on in the season with Pujols, before he really started on his home run tear, I thought that Ollie was giving him too much uh, too much run. And back then, you know, to be honest, I can't remember all the circumstances and time kind of erased that either. But if Ollie was seeing the Pujols that we saw later in the year in batting practice and, and in other places, I, I can't <laughs> blame him at all for <laughs> throwing him out there because it, it, you know, by the time June rolled around, he was an unstoppable force. So, so how could you criticize Ollie for that? So it, it seems like, yeah, that, that he probably is better equipped for that than certainly than the Matheny was and probably more so than Schilt. Um, and this will be a good, a good test of that. Yeah. Yeah, it should be. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Pujols played, quite a bit i kind of pull up his game log it does um he, he probably did play maybe a little bit more than he needed to but you know i got him yeah. out there on the mound and that's that's okay so yeah <laughs> yeah right you exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh so I, I we've gotten 20 minutes into this um podcast and we haven't talked into your wheelhouse of payroll yet oh, so yeah. we've got to do that we've got well, to just adjust far enough to do it that people if they're they're either committed to it or they're they're willing to be bored today so yeah yeah i mean they're, they're, they've they, you know they've tuned out they're doing something else in the background you know with this in yeah. the background so just trying to get through it um we went into this off season a lot of us and and you've done more work on this than, than probably anybody outside of the the cardinal organization um, and I think all of us kind of expected a certain level. And I think most of us would say they didn't reach that level. Is that a fair assessment or, you know, did, did we just expect way too much out of them? Well, I thought it was fair at the time, uh, based on the information that I had, 
Uh, and I, I've written three or four articles, you know, probably the first one I wrote was back in October. Uh, and then probably about once a month or so, I would, I would bring out another one as more information rolled out. But based on what we were hearing early in the off season, it did seem like something like a $205 million final payroll was reasonable and that if you start counting backwards from there, leaving enough space for, uh, you know, signings and a 40 man roster bump and stuff like that. See what I do is I, and you, Daniel, you know this before for the listeners who might not, what I do is I, I, I only project a 26 man opening day payroll. And I know from an accounting perspective, that's, that's not the way that the Cardinals do things. So let me just make sure that's clear. The Cardinals do not do things this way. But my purpose is to inform off-season conversations so that we don't get these things like, oh, they should sign David Price and Bryce Harper and whoever and spend $100 million. I want to give people a, a pretty good idea of what the Cardinals are likely to spend so that our off-season conversations as a community can be relatively accurate. That's my whole goal. That's all I'm after. And so 26-man payroll removes all those benefits, all those health insurance costs, all of those, you know, uh, payments and fees that MLB has to throw into a pot. It just takes all of that out and you're just dealing with, with player salaries. So your final 40 man end of the year payroll is always going to be higher than what it is on, on opening day. And so depending on how you work now, the Cardinals are almost always talking about final 40 man end of season payroll and usually luxury tax payroll, which includes a whole bunch of other factors that have been really frustrating to people this year, but open day payroll, it's always going to be smaller than that. And the, and the gap is somewhere between 10 and, and 20 million in, in an average year. So I started working back from the idea of about a $205 million payroll. I got myself to 192 is what I thought the Cardinals would probably put forward as their opening day payroll this year. And I was off by $20 million. <laughs> so, you know, based on the information that they gave us, I thought that I made sound decisions and, and, and sort of made a reasonable projection. Everyone always tells me that I'm too low. Um, but, uh, every year that I've done this while on the side, I've been too high, but not this much. So based on my proceed, my previous way of operating, I thought I was going to be close, maybe a little bit high. And the Cardinals just did something completely different than what we expected. How much of that do you think was a plan to spend less, even though, again, not necessarily um, telling everybody that? And how much of that was, okay, we wound up getting Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson for cheaper than we thought. And so we're not going to have to spend X amount of money on pitching like we thought. So we'll just you know, we're pretty good. We don't have to worry about it and go on from there. Like, did they really have the intent to spend that and wound up not having to, or do you think they were always kind of focused on let's keep it, let's keep it realistic. You know, Daniel, I, I don't know. And, and here's why I don't know, because I believed John Denton and Bill mm. DeWitt the third, whenever he said that they, they were up against their payroll wall. And that was back right before the winter warmup. And since then, <clears throat> since then, they signed um, Middleton for a five million dollar contract. Signed Carpenter for a you know a league minimum seven hundred forty k, 
and then also um, traded for Kittredge, who was uh, two point. I think I've got him at two point two six. So that's when they said they were up against a payroll wall. They've added about eight million dollars. Well, that's not a significant amount, but it would have pushed them past what I presumed was their their wall. So again, I, I, I can't answer your question as accurately as I would like, because on one hand, they said they were up against a wall and then they still spent. Right. And now we've heard some talk about how they've still got space in their payroll for, you know, um, uh, your typical trade deadline additions and things like that. So I don't know, Daniel, I, I, I really don't know. I think part of it was that they were able to get Lynn and, and Gibson for very reasonable rates early in the offseason, and that kept them from having to spend more. And I also I think the Bally situation might have been a factor. We heard that at various times from various parts of the of club representatives, and then heard the opposite a couple of days later. So it's just been a mess. Their communication on this has just been a mess. And have they done what they said they would do by their players? Probably so not to the quality that we expected, but they did get three starters and they've, they've brought in at least two, you know, legit major league caliber relievers. They've, they've totally overhauled their bullpen depth, which has been an excellent thing, but I, I still am coming away with it a little bit disappointed based on, on their spending and, and what they said early in the season early in the off season. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, again, we sit here today, Blake Snell's still out there, Jordan Montgomery's still out there, guys, that, you know, if you don't sign both Lynn and Gibson, maybe you could even take a run at. Yeah. But it, it yeah. just really does feel like, and we've talked about this in a couple of shows, they're ready to have, especially in the pitching side, uh, a reset pretty soon because, you know, a lot of one-year deals, you know, Sonny Gray's a three-year with an option, but yeah. everybody in that, you know, in a couple of years, everybody on this team should be, could be gone, right? Yeah. So, and then they're going to have to buy or, or develop this pitching anyway. So, I don't know. It's very, very interesting the way they went about that. And that you do wonder if they went for Gibson and Lynn because of the cost certainty and not having to stretch them out for five years like you would. Because there's no way you're getting Jordan. Even right now, you're not getting a Jordan McGimmery or Snell on a one-year deal, do you think? Um. I, I don't know. I don't think so. We've talked a little bit about this on the site uh, in, in some of our, our chats and comments. And, you know, I, I can't help but think back to like previous seasons way back in the, in the day, you know, we're not that old, but we're old, um, you know, Kyle Loesch coming in sort of, right. I can't remember when Loesch signed, you know, late February, March, you know, that kind of time it was, frame. Yeah, it was in spring training. Yeah. It was in spring training. Yeah. And so Loesch, you were able to get him on a one year sort of pillow deal. And so that experience and some others like that in the past makes me think that one year deal is possible for a guy like Montgomery. But I've got to think that Boris has at least three or four year deals on the table for a guy like Montgomery or Snell. Mm -hmm. And for some reason is still they're still holding out. So I, I kind of think that the longer it goes, the more that a short term deal is possible. But I, I don't think I'm there yet. I think it's going to be another two or three weeks before I really think that something like that is is likely. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's. Um, I, yeah, I think that it gets to a point that you know, obviously Scott Boris doesn't want to back down, but yeah, I also got to think that Jordan Montgomery and Blake and uh, Blake Snell don't want to start the season on the bench either. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, as much as we criticize Boris and talk about Boris, I mean, there's a reason why all these players take him as his agent. He gets mm-hmm. the job done in the end. Might not be the yep. way that any of us expect, but it, it usually happens. And so they probably have some reason at least to still have confidence in his procedure. Yeah. I mean, he, he tends to know what the market is, right? I mean, cause yeah. he'll, I mean, maybe that's because he's often setting it. I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. he doesn't usually misread it terribly badly. And right now, I mean, to be fair, it does kind of look like he's either overplayed his hand, but you know, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I just, I know a lot of people say, you know, the Orioles have had an injury already and you think, Oh, you're calling Montgomery. But again, if he's not ready to sign a one-year deal, an injury doesn't really help you any, right? I mean, you, you know, cause you get a guy that goes down, even with Tommy John, he's coming back next year. You don't go out and sign necessarily Jordan Montgomery for a four year deal right then. Right. Yeah. Although I think the Cardinals are in a position where they could going back to kind of what you're saying, mm-hmm. like looking at the roster resources over on fan graphs and their long-term payroll, you know, you, you mentioned Gray's he's here for three years. Miklas is, you know, they've got him under control for two this year and next year. And Gibson, there's a one-year option. Lynn, there's a one-year option. Matt's has two years. I mean, by 2026, we've got a one-man rotation. Mm-hmm. So they, I still, I thought this was the beginning of the of the offseason. I still think it now. It, it's very possible, very easy for them to add a, a longer-term commitment for you know either for a hitter or a pitcher. A pitcher makes, makes more, way more sense. They sort of did it with Gray. They could have done it another two or three times and and not really stretch their future payroll that much. But for some reason, they've chosen to go short term, and uh, it makes me a little bit nervous about about what their future rotation will be like, and it puts a lot of strain on their on their development system. But that's also where they want that strain to be. They want to be a draft and development team that can develop pitchers, and so they're providing themselves with the opportunity to do it. I suppose. Well, and it's not that it's not been, I know it seems like it, but it's not been that long ago since that's what the Cardinals were, right? They couldn't oh, yeah. develop hitters, but they yeah. had pitchers coming from every which way. Yeah, um, I had so a long-term it, series of articles called uh, uh, the Cardinals are a pitcher factory. And every year I went mm-hmm. through the list of starters that were just right there on the verge waiting to take their turn. Yep. And, and, and then the Cardinals started trading them off. And, and the reason, again, yeah. you make those, you make as much as they hurt now, the gallon trade, the, you know, you know, with the, uh, Alcantara and all that kind of stuff is because there were so many pitchers in the organization and yeah. you had to clear out some of them and um, you just picked the wrong ones to clear out. Um, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. And I've asked, I asked the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this, this situation. So I'll ask you as well. Do you think it is the Cardinals are looking forward and saying, okay, we know Bally's is here this year. This Amazon situation is going to be interesting. They might be around in a few years. We may have to pivot to direct to customer, uh, which is going to be pretty good for the Cardinals, I think, in general, because of how proud they are. But they also don't know how that's going to affect markets overall. You know, if, if everybody in baseball is going to have to, you know, if the money's lessened overall, you know, maybe they feel they can get good pitchers at cheaper prices. And so they don't want to commit themselves. Yeah, or is possible. it is it most done in another year? And they don't want they want as few commitments as possible for the new guy when he comes in, whoever that guy may be. Yeah, I think that's too. I think I think that it might be one of those situations where there's four or five answers, but not one answer. Mm-hmm. And and I think that Bally plays a role in it. You know, one of the things that I've thought about that 
I, I think maybe we talked about with Dane and I can't remember whether you guys talked about it on your podcast, although I know you guys talked about the ballet situation a little bit is that, is that revenue from TV if I remember right now, correct me if I'm wrong, Daniel, because I, I haven't looked into this as much as I, I should have, but a certain percentage of TV revenue goes into the pot, goes into the pool. And, mm-hmm. and that gets shared to some degree throughout all of baseball. And so while the Cardinals might remain in a strong position by going to a direct to consumer product by streaming their, you know, their broadcasts themselves, starting their own network, that doesn't mean that, say, the Royals or the Diamondbacks or the Rangers or the Twins are, are also going to be in a beneficial situation. And so like you're kind of getting at revenue, even if the Cardinals sort of say, stay fairly strong because of their loyal uh, viewership base, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the case all over baseball, which could lead to a, a decline in revenue for the Cardinals and a decline of revenue for everyone else. Now, as you point out, which I think was an excellent point that could lead to a depression of salaries as well, making it a little easier to sign some of these guys down the road. And that could be something that they're factoring in. But I think the fact that there's so many unknowns, even though I feel like they're in a beneficial position, so many unknowns is keeping them from wanting to buy into their future. And instead they're just sort of letting things play out and see who develops and see what happens internally and will react to it, you know, later. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, that's a, the Cardinals are really good about kicking cans. I think <laughs> they <know> are. <laughs> I mean, they've got uh, several just, world championships in kicking cans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've seen quite a bit of that. And so, yeah, I, I feel like I would be a little bit more confident in that approach if the pitching side had at least somebody coming up, right? I mean, we, we know that the Cardinals yeah. have gotten out and, and got some people at the trade deadline last year and then, they're, they're pitchers that are going to help this team. I think I don't think anybody really questions that too much, but it's still not, you know, if in two years, three years, you've got a rotation that is, you know, Sonny Gray followed up by Taco Roby and Adam Kloffenstein and some reverse and Zach Thompson. I don't know that we feel real confident about that. Yeah. Is that a championship caliber rotation? Uh, right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and again, we, if, if we don't feel bad about the, the offense seems right. Right. I mean, we feel pretty good yeah. about that. A lot of young guys, a lot of guys that are, you know, even a couple of guys in Sagas and um, Scott that are coming up that, you know, that have at least a chance to, to contribute. Um, you've got a little bit of that, you know, what's coming up. You get, got depth there of quality depth. Yeah. It just, you know, whether they can develop that on the pitching side is, you know, again, a question that we've had for a long time. Yeah, I think I think it's a I think it's a great example. And I think they're hitting the way that they've succeeded with their hitting development speaks into this, because despite being what I would say is ridiculously successful with their hitting development over the last few years with with Gorman and Donovan and and another Newt Bar, I mean, they've they've really hit on some some players uh, with this, even with that, this team will still rise and fall based on Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Right. So, so even when you've done as great a job as you're like, as a system is likely to do in your hitting development, you're still reliant on these superstar level producers. Now, maybe Jordan Walker becomes that maybe Mason Wynn becomes that, uh, you know, 
maybe, right? It's possible, but you're going to need a couple of those hits. Now, you look at the the pitching staff, and yeah, they've got probably, oh, maybe as many as five or six arms that could be legitimate late major league starters, ranging from Takoa Roby and Tink Hintz at the top to, I mean, maybe the bottom of my list would be like Simmer Bursa or you know, Kloffenstein maybe has a chance to be an actual starter, but not a good one. Mm. Probably. Right. So there's, there's probably, there's probably seven or eight names in there. Gordon Graceffo, Cooper Jerpy. Um, you know, you can name a couple other guys, but, but besides maybe Hints and Roby and they don't really project as number ones, you know, they're more number two, number three kind of arms. That top side isn't there. It just, it just isn't there. And so, yeah, you could, you could, reinforce your rotation with more mid-level guys number threes number fours number fives but it still takes those high producers those elite teams to really take you over the top not just to be a championship caliber team but just to be a playoff caliber team that's that's what it takes and i don't really see a lot of that in the cardinal system and so they're gonna have to spin and they're gonna have to bring in players and it's gonna have to be you know a challenge for them going forward that their system's just not going to provide. Yeah. Now they do have the opportunity, obviously in this draft with the high picks yeah. to maybe at least, especially in the first round, get a, you know, a fast rising top of the rotation type of guy, but there's also no guarantee that that's going to work either. Yeah. Um, well, and, and even like you say, a fast riser, and that's where it becomes difficult because your fast risers are typically your college arms Mm-hmm. And your college arms can be high impact, but you know they tend to be a little bit more like your number two, number three caliber guy. Depends on who it is. It's those high school arms, you know, that have that elite upside, and, and they're not going to develop in two years. It's going to be a four or right. five year project. Well, and then you, uh, and again, you have the, you know, so much more variance there too. I mean, yeah. we're looking. We've talked about Tink Hints, and yeah, yeah, there's still a good chance of Tink Hints becoming, you know, maybe a two or a three. But, you know, reading in, in Keith Law's um, write-ups at The Athletic, um, you know, it, there's also that possibility he becomes, you know, shifts into maybe a, a top-notch reliever, which, yeah. you know, especially in the Cardinal organization, as many, many people can testify, it's a, it's a, it's a path that happens. Yeah. So, you know, but that that doesn't help your, your starting situation very much. So, right. yeah, I think there's so many so many things that they've got to do and and you know maybe bringing in a guy like Heimblum makes the difference what what do you think about the influx of at least one top-notch name that comes from someplace else I like it I I like it a lot um the, the Cardinals you've talked about this a lot Daniel I'll give you a lot of credit here and I've I've agreed with you from a distance maybe even in person you know the couple times that I've been on your show but <laughs> but it's been a big topic of conversation for you for a long time is is that you know need for outside voices that that this it's a it's a really good thing for an organization to promote from within and have some upward mobility internally that that's a good environment people talented people want to stay there want to work there you've seen that with gersh you've seen it with flores i mean these are guys that that stick around because they they have they have opportunities but once you've done something a certain way and always done it that way it might be a little difficult for you to see other ways to do it and i think with their slow you know progression towards analytics and 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 lab work with their hitting and now their pitching right they still haven't built this mythical pitching lab 
in Jupiter. They're, they're trying, but it's it's not there yet. And other organizations have had one for years. Uh, you, you know, they're behind the curve a little bit. And so someone like Bloom does bring a different perspective, a different experience, a different mindset from a different type of organization, both in Boston and with the Rays. I mean, the Rays just operate completely differently. And so he brings that that flavor and that uniqueness to a situation of talented people who maybe haven't been challenged in the ways that Bloom can challenge him. And I think pretty much only good things can come of that. At the same time, like, you know, for the next three or four years, the players that are here and in the system are the players that are here and in the system. And maybe Bloom can do some things to help develop them, but his impact is likely not going to be truly felt uh, in, you know, until this draft class and, and the younger players down in the system are down in the complex working their way up. You know, it's, it's a long-term thing they're investing in and the Cardinals are in their period of transition sort of now. Yeah. It's, it's not like he brought in one, one neat trick that can raise everybody's um, velocity five degrees, you know, five yeah. miles per hour. Right. Um, it's going to take, it takes some work and he's got some, Excuse me. Um, he's got some some ways to to make him influxes, but he's also an advisor right now, right? I mean, he's yeah. not even going to be in St. Louis. I mean, that doesn't in this day and age, obviously, as as you and I are talking states apart, this is not a big deal, right? I mean, they <laughs> right. he doesn't have <laughs> to be in the room where it happens, but yeah. Um, but still, there's there is something to that of of being in the day to day of you know, being able to walk down to Mo's office and, you know, just, Hey, let, let's talk about stuff or, or whatever the case may be. And sometimes ideas come around from that. So um, I don't know. I think, I think he's going to be somebody that's going to be very interesting to see how often is he in St. Louis? How often are they talking about him? Yeah. How often does he get on, you know, I mean, cause we've seen the cat interview Gersh and Flores and stuff like that. Is he going to get a couple of chances to, to um, interview Bloom this year? I mean, is that, cause I think if that's the case, they expect him to be, part of this organization for some, some time to come. And if he's not, then, you know, maybe this is a little bit of a, you know, an experiment that they're not necessarily committed to yet. Yeah. And I think in some ways probably, you know, I, I kind of neglected to say this before, but so I'll say it now in some ways we might kind of see the level of influence that he has in some of these like small sort of ancillary pickups. Like I think about mm-hmm. like Nick Robertson, you know, is I, I like Nick Robertson a lot. I think it was a, a, a maybe less than what I wanted for Tyler O'Neill, but as a player, I'm, I'm pretty excited about him. So a player like that, a player like Fernandez, the real five pick it's at these little side signings, you know, if, if Bloom's influence is felt there and his approach is felt there, it can make a difference, but it's, it's not gonna, you know, it's not (laughs) Robertson's not going to make the difference in this team winning the world series and, and not this year, you know? So, so it's going to be a while before his, his development and, and, you know, analytical skills really come into play in a, in a big way. I watch Robertson, you know, uh, lock down a, a win in the, in the NLCS. And hey, the key prove me wrong, man. <laughs> prove me wrong. I'll take it. <laughs> you know me, I love to be wrong on the internet. I'm perfectly fine with that. Well, speaking of you being wrong, yeah. um, <laughs> no, I, it was an interesting thing. I was listening to the most recent um, roundtable podcast that y'all put out and you did, you, you didn't really get into it too much. You were talking about the pitching staff. But you said something that made me made me think. You said you didn't think there was any chance that Zach Thompson and Matthew Levitore, neither one of them, are on the roster 
come opening day. Now, I've done two rosters. Neither one are on there. That neither that one of them will be. Is that what you're saying? That I said. I, you said one of them at least would be on the roster. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple of roster mock-ups, and I, again, I'm yeah. terrible at this, so it's fine. But I had them both in Memphis, basically being the you know starting and being those depth guys. Yeah. Um, so where you do you think the value is for one of those guys to be the guy in the bullpen versus strengthening lengthening out in Memphis? Okay, so I, I think that well, first of all, let me just sort of preface this by saying that since we said that Derek Gould has reported that the Cardinals are tossing around the idea of a six man rotation right. to start the season. So that Which could, does wrinkle. That, yeah, that's a wrinkle. Yeah, that does that, that. If one of, if one of those two guys then has to be in the rotation, I could, I could, well, I mean, that puts one of them on the team, doesn't it? So, right. You know, so I guess that makes me right, Daniel, and you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Which is probably what's going to happen. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But I mean, if that's the case, if they're concerned about innings early in the season, and or or something, you know, happens in some regard, then I could see how they might want to have both players stretched out. But I I personally think, based on what Mo has said at the end of the season and how he performed at the end of the season that their preference would be for Libertor to to start in the bullpen. And mm-hmm. I think they would like to keep him stretched out a little bit there. Like I don't see them dropping him in as a as a you know three out eighth inning guy. I think they're hoping Romero can fit that role. But as a one to three inning guy in higher impact middle inning situations. Like he's not, he's not Ponce de Leon where it's just going to be relegated to mop up duty. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think they want to keep him, you know, as one inning plus. So they used him like that in the bullpen last year and, but moving towards higher leverage, winning the game sort of situations. And because he performed well down the stretch in that, and because he hasn't performed really well in the bullpen, I personally would, I'm sorry, in the rotation, excuse me. I personally would like to see them give him a run um, where he just has success. Sometimes if you're in a role where you can have success, it helps you learn what you can do well and helps you figure out kind of how you get guys out. Because frankly, Libertor hasn't gotten that many guys out in the rotation (laughs) that it could, it could, it could work backwards that it could give him the confidence he needs to become a starter long-term. Um, but at this point in, in Libertor's development, whatever works for him is fine. Whatever keeps him in the majors is fine. And so I personally think that the Cardinals would prefer if Libertor was in a longer relief role with some possibility for impact innings and Thompson was that guy that was ready to step in right away in a six starter role and is there, you know, whenever there is an injury because we, we know there will be one. Yeah, I definitely think that, especially the way that he pitched down the stretch last year, that Thompson is going to be yeah, in Memphis because he pitched so well as a starter in the major leagues, he's going to be at Memphis this year. Right. I mean, that's exactly the way right. That it goes. Yeah, there's a really good chance in my mind that, that Thompson's <laughs> like our second or third best starter, uh, but he'll be in Memphis. So, right. Um, I, I, and I agree with you on, on Libertor. If that's, if that's their thinking, I could I easily see that. I do wonder, and we, we've talked about this, in years past as well of that guy that we think is, okay, we're going to have him, you know, he's going to be that long man to pitch two or three innings. 
but then you get, you know, again, they just restructured this rotation to make sure that everybody can go like six. Right. And, yeah. and then you're turning it over in theory to the Kitteridge and the Romero's and the Gallegos and stuff like that. And you run the risk. And we've seen this a number of times of being that guy that doesn't pitch for two weeks because there's just not that situation. Now, again, that may be asking a lot of these guys and there may be a lot of games where Lance Lynn would like to go six, but he's going three because he's given up six runs or something like that. But, you know, especially early on, maybe that's how they go about it. But I think that that's my only hesitation with that is we've seen that be a problem in the past. Yeah. And I think that Libertor helps in that, in that because, um, Let's say, for example, that you you get um, Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson into the sixth inning, and then there's uh, you know I, I don't I, I can't think of who it might be off the top of my head, but you got a run of two or three uh, impact lefty hitters coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great time to to get them out of the game. Third time through the lineup, say you know they've got through five, five and a third, maybe maybe right into six, something like that. And, and then, yeah, you could just throw Libertor out there because Libertor can also get righties out. You could throw him out there for the sixth and seventh and then let Gallegos uh, Helsley take the eighth, ninth. And it gives uh, Kittredge a day off. It gives Middleton a day off. You know, I think there's a role for a long relief lefty that might not be as um, easy to fill with a longer relief righty, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially with three better minimums and stuff of that nature. That's, um, yeah, I, I mean, it very well might be, and it, it would not, I would not be stunned to see it to happen that way. Um, and I think we've seen again with it's going to be very interesting this year, right? Because there's not anybody in this rotation that has the gravitas of an Adam Wainwright that you're not willing to take out with four and two thirds in a, in a, in a key situation, you know, so they can't get the win or something like that. Last year, obviously you wanted Adam to get as many wins as possible to try to get to that 200th. Yeah. Before that, it was his, you know, his career and he, and he was pitching well enough that you gave him the benefit of the doubt, but it feels like this year, you know, all he's going to be able to, whether he will or not, he's going to have the opportunity to, to pull those guys quickly without worrying about the ramifications of, you know, Hey, I've just pulled out miles. Michaelis. Well, okay, it was Miles Michaelis, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the case, and there will be times when when Lynn and, and Gibson, assuming that they are kind of what we think they are, when they are going to be able to give you six or seven innings, and things work out for them, even though they don't have great stuff. Still, I mean, Lynn, Lynn still actually has pretty good stuff, but it depends on how well you know he can limit home runs. Gibson it comes and goes a little bit, but. You know, there'll be times where they have good games and they're able to save the bullpen and, and do that work that, you know, frankly, Wainwright was only able to do, I think, once last year <laughs> right, and get into the right. in the sixth or seventh inning. So that that'll be helpful and it will it'll help the, the bullpen, a very deep bullpen, work itself out a little bit more and also give Marmol fewer fewer needs to make choices. Like he'll just mm-hmm. have to decide when he thinks the right time to pull these guys are, you know, is and and but he won't have to manipulate a bullpen for six innings almost every night and that'll that'll help the whole club yeah yeah i think so um lance lynn gave up i I remember right 44 home runs last year Hmm. does he give up less than half of that this year because 22 is still a lot but it's 
22 is still a pretty good number. Um, let me pull up his stats here, which makes for great radio. Me pulling up yeah. the stat sheet dun, on, dun, 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 on the dun, internet. Dun, yeah. <laughs> Please hold uh, while we contact yeah, yeah. connect you to our stat page. How's your Friday going? Now here, here I've got it right here. <laughs> got it right here. So his home run per nine. This is what I want to look at. Home run per, for fly ball rate is a rate can, that can be a little bit, you know, up and down a little bit. 19%. So 19% of the fly balls that Lance Lynn gave up left the ballpark. That's a high number. That's a very yeah. high number. But what is a low number is like 10, you know, half that. And and so, um, well, I guess, a, you know, what a great example is, is 2022. His home runs per nine in 2022 was 1.41, nearly one and a half innings per nine, or home runs per nine innings. That is a total of... 19 home runs in 122 innings. So that's a, that's one way of saying, yeah, it, it's a problem for him and it has been a problem. So yeah, if he goes to 175 innings, I would expect him to have 25 or more home runs. Um, but even last, I'm sorry, 2022, despite that home run level, and this is where Lance Lynn can still provide some value. His ERA was 3.99. His fielding independent pitching FIP was 3.82 and his F war uh, wins above replacement was nearly two in just 120 innings. So if he does that, even despite giving up 25 to 30 home runs, the rest of what he does is good enough that he would still be a pretty productive pitcher. And I think that's what the Cardinals are, are banking on that Bush stadium will limit some of that. He's going to give up his home runs, but the rest of what he does will be good enough for him to be a number four, or number five starter. Uh, I yeah I think that's right and and it's very interesting because I think what we've seen now is Lance Lynn you know he limits the damage right he gives up home runs but they're solo shots or whatever the case may be I still yeah. remember one of the one a long time ago writing about Lance the the Lenning as if you may remember that where he would come it always seemed to have one big inning in a game oh, yeah. where it just all blew apart um I think he's kind of matured and learned from that. We don't see that as much, although last year it was just like all of his innings, I guess. But um, at least until he got to Los Angeles, he pitched pretty well for the Dodgers. Yeah, well, he he learned how to control his stuff, and he stopped walking guys as much. Like in the core years with the Cardinals, um, you know, walk percentages um, were, you know, that last year, 2017, for example, 10%. The year before, that 9%. Well, 2022 with the White Sox, 3.7%. Uh, the year before that, seven percent. I mean, it, those are those are not quite Miles Miklas level numbers. Well, the three point seven is below, you know, Miklas, but Mikeless, excuse me. But um, you know, much better than he was then. And so he's not giving up a ton of hits and not walking a lot of guys. And then, like you said, giving up the the one or two run home run, he can survive that because he can still generate K's and still generate whiffs and 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 still get guys out when he needs to. We've seen batting practice. We've seen bullpens, things of that nature this week. As we get, I guess, I think what, it's a week from today, right? Till our first game. Um, wow. yeah. I, I think it is maybe. I, I'm, or I could be completely making it up, which is fine. Um, as we get into those games, who are you wanting to see? What are you wanting to see? I know the first couple of weeks, of course, probably don't really care much about anything, but what are you wanting to see out of, out of spring training? Well, um, boy, I, I, I would like to say that I want to see our, our starting rotation do well. And, and I want to see Mason win hit. Um, but if I'll be really honest with you, what I'm really going to be looking for 
is how these sort of secondary starters and bullpen arms perform when they get their chance early in spring. Like I want to see where, where Gordon Graceffo is relative to last year. And I want to see, I want to see Takoa Roby for the first time in a, in a Cardinals uniform and, and get a measure of his, of his stuff. I want to see what Sim or Bursa looks like now, because those are the guys, if we assume, and I, I don't want this to happen. And, and I, I certainly would be pleased if it doesn't, but if we assume that there is an injury or two or three in the rotation and in the bullpen, it's those arms that are going to have to step up and take a significant role. Uh, Zach Thompson matters, but but whoever's below him in the rotation pecking order might end up mattering just as much because they're likely to get 10, 15, maybe even 20 starts if there's you know significant injuries. And so I really want to see kind of where those guys are, both for this season and for the future. And so I'll be keeping my eye on those players while I can, because as spring progresses, those guys will get less and less time. And so early on, that's what I'm going to be looking for. And then later in the season, I want to see where Miles Miklas's velocity is and how many home runs Lance Lynn is giving up and whether Gibson's sweeper, if he's still throwing it or whatever it was just, or if it was just a, a little thing he was doing here and there, stuff like that. I'll start paying attention to those things. But for now, it's those younger guys that, that will, uh, will receive most of my attention. Yeah, that's yeah. That is the good part of the early part of spring training is you do see those guys that are, you know, probably gone after the first or second round of cuts, but they do get some time. You know, especially last year with the World Baseball Classic, got plenty of time. Yeah, that was so great in some year. regard. Yeah. yeah, it ended up not being great as far as <laughs> the team went because I think it did have an impact. But at the time, it was great. So yeah, normally I'd like to say I'd like to see them, you know, at winning ball games just because it feels like a good omen and then. <laughs> Not so much after last year, but they should uh, try losing in spring just yeah, to, to mix all the games. Yeah, don't lose all the know, games, it, you know, really put that theory the, to the test. Yeah, let's and then they'll win 116 and it'd be great. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see these bullpen pieces because I yeah. think that the Cardinals, except for maybe John King, which I don't, I'm not really, I'm fine with John King as well, but I think they've collected such an interesting group of guys that I think it's just going to be interesting to see you know, see what they do. Right. I mean, we've got a lot of apparently swing and miss and a lot of different ways they've gone about this. And so um, I'm just kind of curious to see what these guys look like and and if they're going to produce. Cause I mean, like you said, we've got four or five guys there at Memphis that can rotate out if necessary. Um, Assuming it's not somebody like Kittredge blowing up, then then we got problems. But um, you know, a lot of those guys have options still and, and there's going to be a bit of a churn. So I think it's going to be fun to see what those guys bring to the table. Oh yeah, like I mean, there's some there's some performances down there in the minor leagues that are really tempting. Uh, like on our podcast, we talked about I think it was Adam Akbani, one of our writers, brought up Riley O'Brien mm-hmm. and his K rates almost forty percent. I mean, it's crazy, so high. And here we are, we're looking at a guy like O'Brien, and we're like, what is he like? 10th in line, you know, yeah, because yeah. they've got their major league bullpen is, is really strong. I love Kittredge. I think Middleton's going to be solid and, and, you know, Gallegos and Helsley are in my opinion, two of the most consistent, you know, relievers in the game uh, whenever they're on. So yeah, I, I, there's some names down there in the bottom and the back end of that I think are really exciting. And I think they could be, it wouldn't shock me at all. For example, if Nick Robertson and Riley O'Brien were holding down roles that we would normally assign to, uh, oh, I don't even know. Uh, Andre Pallante and oh, Ed King's a good example, or 
uh, you know, even Diego's or even Helsley at some point, if there's an injury, these are guys that could really be dominant pitchers if they're able to put it all together. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see. They will. I, I, I still, I'm very, I don't want to say skeptical. I'm worried. Um, hesitant maybe about Giovanni Gallegos. I, I just, I don't think he's trending well. Um, you know, last year they were saying it was a tipping the pitches and he kind of figured it out before he went down with injury. Hopefully that's the case, but it just feels like to me that every year takes a little bit step farther away from, from the Gallegos that we remember. So yeah, um, he's 32 oh, now and he's not a power yeah. guy. I mean, he's not a, not a huge velocity guy and mm-hmm. his velocity has declined a little bit. So I, I can see that it's part of it, but he really wasn't that bad last year. I mean, honestly, he really wasn't. It just, it just, everything got amplified last year. He always has seemed to me, and, and I'd have to look at it some, I have occasionally, um, it's just ridiculously streaky. You know, he's going to have seven, eight, nine games where he just shuts everything out. And then he's going to have three or four games where he gives up three runs each game. You know, I mean, that's just, yeah. there's there's not a lot of in between with him, I don't feel like. Yeah, yeah, I would have to. I would have to look, and this is not the place to kind of do this kind of research. But for, you don't think so? I mean, I think no, it's really not. Yeah, for for a four year period. Now, twenty twenty cuts into that because it was such a yeah. small number of innings. But for a four year period, um, Gallegos had a two point eight four ERA, a two point eight three FIP, and and a K per nine of eleven point two, with a walk per nine of two point two. You're going to be hard pressed to find any reliever in Cardinals history who was that good over four full seasons. It is. And I understand what you're saying. I mean, I agree with you. Mm. I've lived it. I've lived it too, but that's just kind of the nature of relievers is, is two or three outings and then something bad happens, but you do that over the course of a season and you're, you're still, you're a good, you're a really good pitcher, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's absolutely fair that it's it's recency bias and, and, and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, because um, last year he wasn't nearly as good. He just he was. He was right. still good. He was still fine, but right. he wasn't that good. He wasn't you know making you forget about Bruce Suter kind of good. Bruce Suter right. did a lot of other things that Gallegos can't do, obviously. But but he's got numbers that fit with Isringhausen and Rosenthal and you know Lee Smith and and others, even though he wasn't saving games. Well, yeah. that often. So yeah, occasionally here and there, depending on not not as much since Helsley's come into the picture. Although Helsley has to stay healthy as well so yeah right lots lots of fun stuff um i've kept you long enough i appreciate you joining me what's what's coming up at viva albertos over the next week or two well um for me not not so much uh i'm kind of taking a little bit of a step back to finish some things in my professional life. I've, I've got a dissertation I've been working on for several years and it's got to be done by, by April Daniel. So that's, that's <laughs> all of my writing. All of my words are kind of going to that a little bit, but here in another week, the, uh, the Viva Alberto's podcast uh, is going to be starting our reunion tour. Uh, we think that this is the 20 year anniversary of Viva Alberto's. And so on our podcast, we're going to be bringing back, uh, old favorites, one of which you'll know in, in two weeks. Uh, uh, listeners here will know Alex Crisofuli, former uh, Viva Alberto, <laughs> and John LaRue, one of our one of our favorites, one of our great writers. Uh, John LaRue uh, will be on with Alex and me and, and probably Heather and uh, a few of the other longer term uh, writers. We'll be reminiscing about the good old days of Viva Alberto's and 
talking about where they are now and and having a good fun together. So that'll be a great episode. And we'll have a series of those throughout the uh, throughout the whole year. So if you've read Viva Alberto's, which I'm sure most of your listeners have over the years, you'll see names that you you recognize uh, come through the podcast, and it, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, should should be. Uh, look forward to all those, and uh, look forward to whatever shows up on the site because it's you know again like you said it's if it's been 20 years and i feel like it probably has been because this is my uh 16th i think maybe 17th this fall this summer so and they were around before me so that's that's got to be about right yeah um then you know and it's been the the cardinal blog that whole time um yeah so uh it's it's very very good and, and everybody everybody should be reading it as much as they possibly can. So yeah. And um, actually read the articles, actually read the articles, friends. Same thing with Derek Goulds and, and the post-dispatch stuff. Read the articles. That's where the real information is. X Twitter. You just get in a little snapshot fellows. You'll, you'll learn a lot more if you actually read what the article says. Yeah. That's going to really get in the way of my takes though, um, Jason. And I it, really it, can't. I know it does that, for a so. lot of people. The whole six star uh, thing I was true for that, that if you just yeah. read the article, you would have <laughs> understood what you Gould was talking about. I, I, I don't feel like you even had to read the article. I, I mean, I, I did. You really did really And it was like, to. okay, they're going to use us. They're going to, I, I think Weak. to some degree, if, if Derek had said, Hey, they're going to use a spot starter f- for the first two weeks. That's different than saying they're looking yeah. at a six man rotation. Yeah. Um, Sometimes we regret what we, what we tweet, I think. And I think Derek uh, might have regretted that one a little bit. Nah, but. I doubt it. Nah. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> he didn't give it another thought. <laughs> He's like, these idiots, <laughs> I don't care about them. Uh, so anyway, um, Jason, thanks again. Uh, and I look forward to doing it sometime in the future. It's always great to be on, man. Next week, we will have uh, Josh Jacobs. He is uh, writing at Redbird Rants and is doing the Newt News podcast. So look forward to having him on. But until then, for Jason, I'm Daniel. Good night. In the air to right center. Back at the wall. It is off the base of the wall. The Cardinals are going to take the lead. Carpenter has emptied the bases and with the three-run 